Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome back to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker. This week, I will be doing the show solo. So you have the, um, (laughs) you got the the opportunity to sit with me and and to listen to to me for a little while. Um, Alicia is doing her midterms this week. Good luck to her. I told her to take the week off to not worry about needing to do this podcast as well. I was in school once, definitely understand um, time restraints as well. So uh, hopefully, you know, everything goes great with her midterms. Um, I checked in with her yesterday. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's currently Friday, the 6th of November. Um, And uh, I checked in with her yesterday and I got a bunch of thumb down emojis. So I'm guessing that it's going well, but she's really hating it. Um, nonetheless, can't wait to have her back on the next episode. Uh, so this is episode 26. Um, of course, it has been a couple of weeks since we last uh, left you with a episode. Um, since then, New Mexico United and El Paso Locomotive did play. New Mexico United obviously ended their 2020 USL championship season uh, in a Uh, PK shootout loss against El Paso. El Paso did go on to Phoenix to play against the rival uh, Phoenix Rising. And uh, Phoenix Rising would, in fact, win in a PK shootout, which took Phoenix to Tampa Bay. And, of course, as you know, neither Phoenix nor Tampa Bay were crowned the champion. And so, therefore... New Mexico's pursuit of trying to win a USL Cup before you before uh, Phoenix and El Paso is still on the table. So, with that being said, let's kind of get into it. Um, it's again, it's been a couple of weeks since everything has gone down. Uh, we're in a unique vantage point now to be able to look at the whole season. I just want to give you a little bit of what stuck out to me in the matches provide you a little bit of experience from my vantage point and, uh, you know, and then bring us forward. Uh, the next episode that I'll do with Alicia and or maybe Josh Kaskinen, whom has been away for a little while in Michigan, um, we want to really go through uh, the best moments, the worst moments, some of our favorite moments, and, and maybe some of yours as well. And, uh, and really kind of bring that forward in an episode. We look to have a couple of guests on the show as well, and even talk about some of our player predictions or even players that have since announced that they are going to be taking their talents elsewhere for the 2021 season. Okay, so 
with that being said, let's get into it. So I went down to El Paso. Uh, took, I went down with my photographers, um, Amanda and Ulysses Alvarado. Shout out to them. Uh, we went down and uh, we went to El Paso. You know, we obviously were safe. We made sure to mask up and to sanitize and all those things. Uh, we had a, a VIP entrance with the media. So we entered the stadium in a completely uh, different area, um, you know, and had the uh, amenity of having some cold Gatorades as we were positioned on the third base uh, baseline, okay, uh, when it comes to, to the, the field at Southwestern University Park. So I'm sitting at the table, you know, I, I had posted a picture that, that night that my office for the evening was going to be along uh, the third base dugout. Uh, it was a very nice temperature night there in El Paso. Um, to see a match in person and that close, uh, definitely a very uh, cool moment again. Um, the last time I had saw a match in person was up in Colorado Springs. And mind you, I was just in a car accident like an hour before. So it was definitely um, a different experience in Colorado Springs, just kind of being a bit comatose versus uh, being in El Paso and, and, and being there at a very big match one definitely anticipated one very much um that meant so much to everyone on both sides in that stadium so we already know the result we know that the el paso was able to prevail in the pk shootout and the the real big thing that i, I wanted to point out um, in this match, in the first period, first half, is that New Mexico really didn't, they really didn't have much of an attack. Um, there's no way to really put that other than that itself. El Paso looks very dangerous in the first half of the match. They had several opportunities um, at goal. In fact, um, initially kind of getting into things, in the first five minutes, uh, Jose Gomez basically is like looking at a shot. I mean, he's he sends a cross into the box, but Suggs is right there with Cody, and Suggs is able to scoop it out. Now, when you were seeing this in person, because mind you, you know, all season we've watched these matches about the same way. We've watched them on a broadcast. And so we've seen it from that vantage point being there right there, uh, in person and, and having a very clear, uh, look at the goal. I mean, Josh Suggs was so there in a nick of time, like that ball was so close to going across the line and to see it on a replay. I just don't know how he was able to do it like that. So in the fifth minute, El Paso is already threatening to score. You know, naturally you think, okay, come on, United. Like, you need to, you know, pick up your press and you need to have kind of a, a solid midfield, right? You need to keep El Paso from trying to advance uh, into your defensive half and, and, and 
definitely into your defensive third. Well, that sort of thing just couldn't happen. Um, for whatever reason, United just seems kind of cagey that night. They seems just there seems to be like kind of an unrest. I mean, the sort of uh, the sort of ex experience I had or the impression I got watching it uh, is that United just could not they cannot seem to figure out um, their opponent, and that's hard to think about because they've played El Paso Locomotive four times in the season and surely both teams are familiar with themselves but from the onset in the first 20 minutes you had el paso that really did take up um the resemblance of a a train going full steam heading only in one direction and it was el paso countless times coming down the pitch coming down the pitch and then you had united you know always maybe an extra foot ahead of, of El Paso, able to step in and able to cause turnovers, able to just prevent them from taking the shot on goal. But the thing, the fact of the matter is that United turned it over so much in the first half that they created the situation of El Paso having so many chances. And you and you and I both know um, best that El Paso already takes a lot of shots a game. If you've been watching the last four matches, they already take about 20 shots a game. So for United to also turn over the ball as many times as they were to create chances for El Paso, um, that didn't obviously pay United any dividends. Now, things were very back and forth in the first 25 minutes. The 30th minute is obviously where things get, you know, a little calculated, right? So El Paso gets a ball past Armando Moreno. Um, it, it, in fact, gets over to, I believe, Brian Rebellon. Uh, Bruce is in the area, but he just can't seem to get the right set of footing. So he kind of gets like left as El Paso is mounting a run. Rebion gets the ball and is kind of dribbling it inward towards the six, but manages at the last moment to dish it off to Dylan Mares. And D Dylan Mares at this point uh, basically just takes a shot from if you're looking at the goal from like the left side of the goal and just shoots it far post, uh, Cody can't obviously block the shot and it just goes in and El Paso goes up one nil, you know, looking at the replay, both in the stadium, as well as rewatching this match. Uh, the things that I saw in there were obviously United just, wasn't able to track back fast enough. Um, you had Kalen Ryden, who obviously, you know, was trying to stand in the way of the shot and somehow deflect it. Um, but he was just not able to get a couple extra steps to maybe do something more. And then you had Sam Hamilton, who kind of slid in, uh, maybe to think that the ball might be coming from the ground. Um, 
but in fact, it really just created an open lane uh, in the air. And so Dylan Morris just basically sends a shot from, like I said, like near near side to far side, and El Paso goes up one nil. So at this point in the stadium, obviously El Paso is the fans are just just turned up. It is just it it sounds definitely more than than some 800 fans that are probably there uh, in support of El Paso, maybe even 900 for that minute. Um, but it, nonetheless, it was like, oh my gosh, we're down one nil, right? I'm sitting at a media table, mind you, where the other pundits, which everyone's supposed to be kind of a professional, uh, they were just like losing themselves, you know? And so here it is, we're sitting here, we're already down one nil to the opponent, the rival. This is the, you know, the fifth edition of the, Derby Dell Camino Real, and we're already losing this match. You know, United is just not looking good in the first period. You know, so, you know, for those of you who, who may have watched it a second time, you're reliving the moment with me now. If you haven't watched it again, <laughs> save yourself the trauma because I can tell you that it still stings. Um, so at any point, you know, by by the halftime, United had three shots and, and zero on target. So this obviously wasn't a good showing for New Mexico. You know, what kind of things would they need to do at the half? I mean, the first half was all El Paso on the attack, and New Mexico never really was on the attack. They had one or two instances where they were able to send the ball forward, but they just weren't really able um, to to mount any sort of runs. I mean, El Paso just had their number. Like, from the very start, El Paso came out in a press. El Paso was already um, in United's defensive half. Anytime the ball would try to advance into the middle of the pitch, El Paso's midfielders were there to disrupt or snuff out any balls, and they are able to turn around and convert and try to make chances out of it. New Mexico needed to ultimately have better ball movement uh, from the back to the front. Um, They needed to be able to uh, not turn over the ball so easily to El Paso, especially knowing that they have kind of a standout uh, midsection area uh, within their starting 11. Um, And... You know, and, and we know also that Troy, uh, co- head coach Troy Lassane, likes a very efficient um, production level. He likes concise shots. So United is only going to be taking 10, 10 to 15 shots every match. They've already taken three and none were on target. So this says they've got to tweak some things. So obviously during the half, you know, I'm sitting there on the uh on the on the side and you know kind of typing a little bit kind of just listening to different conversations and you know i mean for the most part you know people who came to this match i mean they came for one result right they came for the el paso win there was never the possibility that new mexico and their minds could pull out a win though they do understand that new mexico is dangerous and uh you know they do commend the team for traveling um all their matches Okay, so second half starts. 
we already see a change. We see Brucey out. We see David Nedjum come in. And this right here seems to be a great change once again. We saw that change the previous week when they were playing against San Antonio. Uh, Nedjum comes in, and Nedjum already uh, is able to, to possess the ball and to create chances. He's not turning it over as easily, and he's definitely not getting... He's definitely not in a position to where he's um, where where he's losing duels and and giving dangerous spaces away to El Paso. So, um, I, you know, obviously, I had the privilege of being able to see Najum up close because he was in front of me the whole time. So, already into the second half, and about sixty-four minutes in, uh, Cody's got this. Amazing save. Uh, Maka King had basically sent a header towards Cody off of a Leandro Carrijo cross. Now, Cody had obviously been making saves throughout the match. Um, the one thing I didn't say in the first period is that the minute around minute around the 33 third minute after um, Mares had scored that goal in the 30th minute. El Paso obviously was threatening again, and they had another similar instance of uh, Gomez basically sending a cross through the box, and it literally dances on the line. Josh Suggs manages to clear it out, but it's literally like another ball that had could have could have gone across. Um, so really, United still trying to find their way into this match, and it really where things really got interesting is around around the 70th minute or so um romeo parks comes in for amando moreno now through much of the the match uh moreno definitely is getting the ball in some instances but he just isn't able to make anything kind of happen for himself uh, a lot of the times he was either dispossessed um, or he was able to advance the ball kind of far but for the most part uh, El Paso just kind of was able to, to tangle him up and kind of keep him from being as productive as he's been in, in previous weeks. So Romeo Parks comes in, and, I mean, to give my honest admission uh, on this pod is, you know, we've seen Romeo Parks, the premier striker, um, come to our team this year. And, and for the most part, we've seen a different style of Romeo Parks. We've seen a player that can hold up the ball, can kind of distribute it, um, you know, playing a true nine position. And we really haven't seen um, this Romeo Parks that, you know, that scores all the goals and does the backflips, the thing that is such a novelty to, to our fan base. Um, but nonetheless, Romeo Parks has made big strides with New Mexico United, and I'm pretty sure uh, that it, it does set him up going forward um, in his career as well, um, you know. But I'm sure it's also very frustrating for him because he's someone who scores goals. Nonetheless, Romeo Parks comes in around minute 70, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is like your last 20 minutes as New Mexico United um, if nothing happens, if, if the team can't pull it around, if New Mexico can't start finding their legs, if they can't start 
creating chances for themselves. I mean, we know there's always at least one United goal in a match. I mean, they typically are not being shut out very often. So through that last 20 minutes, right, of the match, it is just nerve-wracking. It's like I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, we came here for a win. That's all. We came here for a win. Like We're, we're not losing this match. And in that 20 minutes, it seemed like United got some, some fresh energy. Uh, Romeo came in and he offered – a different vantage point, perhaps, perhaps locomotive didn't really know how to set up for him. Um, you know, Romeo did not play in every single um, instance with United and locomotive. And so therefore he wasn't a player that they could really plan for in the way that Troy used him as well. And so as it's going, uh, Devin Sandoval, um, Kalen Ryden, and, and Sam Hamilton, um, you know, them all being in there at the same time, they ultimately were like tall bodies along with Romeo. So it definitely created some other opportunities as far as if United were to get uh, any set pieces or any free kicks. Uh, so at the 78th minute, Chris Weehan takes a free kick. And it just dips like right in Ketterer's hands. Like, you know, I from the, the moment it was taken, it, it definitely didn't look like it was going in, um, but it was dangerous nonetheless. Around the 80th minute, David Najum sends a cross in. Um, Devin slides in to try to deflect it, and Romeo Parks was kind of on the run. But the thing about Najum is that Najum really was – he was a threat along the right wing. Um, and there were definitely instances where Najum uh, shook some defenders and managed to put the ball in. There was one where he put it in. Um, he put it in play and, and Josh Suggs almost got a head on it or actually, sorry, he did get a head on it, but it just, it went to Ketterer as well. So at this point, Locomotive is starting to sub off all their starters. Um, you know, the game is almost over in their eyes. You know, if they're still on a one nil lead, they'd like to have a second goal perhaps. And, you know, at this point they're thinking, okay, let's go ahead and sub players off. Well, Troy is subbing players on. So at this point, uh, Romeo Parks, you know, gets the ball. It's It's got to be since he's been in, it's about like the 92nd minute. And I'm thinking, okay, this is almost over. Like we have four minutes to go. Nothing's going to happen. United is ultimately just going to walk out of the stadium with the one nil loss. I literally am packing up my stuff to go because at this point it's the match is over. You know, the 94th minute hip hits, my stuff's almost put away. 95 happens. And then I look up and I'm thinking, this game is over. And then Romeo Parks gets the ball. United turning, 94th minute. 
Trailing it 1-0 in the Western Conference semis. Najem, square ball. Here's Weehan. He's on top of it, dancing. Weehan to Romeo Parks. Does he want to have one? Parks fires! He's yes! He's done it! Shake the net from 30 out! A hammer! And it's Romeo Parks! Oh my goodness! I told you he was on loan from Sligo Rangers. They're not allowed him back. Number 27, Romeo Parks with a rocket into the left-hand corner. Ketterer just stood there watching it. We are tied at one, deep in stoppage time. Romeo Parks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the goal, has, the ball has gone in the net. Like, United are tied. It's 1-1. Like, I am just losing my mind. And again, the media pundits, they are like, you're supposed to just be chill. Like, there's not anyone cheering in the press row. But I got to thinking, this is the last match of the year. And this is only the second match, I've, or I guess technically the third match I've seen in person, if I include Austin. And I thought, oh, man, I'm sorry, but I got to break the rules. So I'd share a little bit inside my mask. I am just so stoked. I look around, and everyone's like, Romeo Parks, Romeo Parks, Romeo Parks, Romeo Parks. Like, oh my gosh, like, and I'm just thinking to myself, is this what it came down to? In the last 20 minutes, Romeo Parks has his second goal of the season and he saves the season and takes it further into a match. It was so amazing. Um, and, uh, and by the way, uh, that clip was brought to you by ESPN Radio. The team, 1017 FM. I'm so thankful that we could use that clip um, just because we really wanted to be able to capture the excitement um, the way it was called originally because it was it was just so incredible. And so um, that was that was very important for us. Um, nonetheless. So, going forward, the score is tied 1-1, and we go through the added extra time, and the first period, the first half of that period, looks like it's United's. United's got fresh legs, you know, at this point, Parks is getting more touches on the ball, and, you know, and he sends this ball in that's just got this crazy cross, this crazy kind of curl on it. It just goes outside of the goal, but uh, definitely Parks was heating up. Uh, I kept making this comment through the night that it felt like Parks had this sort of glow on his kit because, you know, for some reason his, his kit, his jersey just looked just extra yellow and uh and i kept making this comment like man maybe maybe there's some shine on him because you know he's going to ultimately just turn around and win this game for for us and so anyways um anyways this the the first half of the added extra time, the first 15 minutes, 
though I say I think it heavily was favored by United, nothing could come out of that first 15 minutes. So then they go into the second half. I think the El Paso kind of comes back. They kind of have some opportunities um, to try to put some balls into the net. Uh, but Cody comes big on some saves. So ultimately, um, this thing is going to PKs. Um, and and before I get further, um, I do want to correct myself in saying that that clip that I played of Romeo's goal, um, graciously provided by ESPN Radio 1017, the team. Um, again, thanks, Joe. Thanks, thanks Adam Deal and Andy Hageman on the call, as always, when you listen to the home side of the broadcast. Um, they captured it so well, and I, I wanted to make sure that I had that file in this episode. So, um, so again, hats off to them, and can't wait to be with them again next season um, doing some, some after-match calls or after-match shows. Um, nonetheless... Getting back into things. Sorry, I got a little off track here. When you're doing it by yourself, it's you can things can kind of happen that way. Um, PKs. So El Paso was in PKs the week before with Tulsa, in which obviously they they advanced. United really hadn't had to be in any opportunities uh, this year since there was no Open Cup, so there really was uh, no opportunities for. Uh, Mizell to Phil tested, um, you know, and certainly, you know, he didn't really have to face too many uh, pens against El Paso. So, you know, this would really just come down to um, whether or not Cody studied uh, the players. So watching this match, you know, the – we're watching this match and we're watching like, you know, as these kicks are being taken and, and I want, I want to say I have them. I may even have them documented because I, I was thinking about it during the time. Um, so the penalty, penalty kicks start. So El Paso starts. You know, and, and I'm sure the thought is we're going to take the first kick and then you're going to have to produce one. And so that way it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a, a advantage factor um, to kind of make the second team a little bit more tensed up. So El Paso takes the first, takes the first kick. Um, and forgive me, I, I, I don't have the players' names written down and, and I'm not going to worry about pulling them up for this matter, but El Paso takes the first kick. Cody gets a hand on the ball. Um, and I, and I thought to myself, why is he trying to catch this ball? Like, you know, could he have punched that ball out? Is there anything he could have done? But it just seems like he did enough to guess the right direction and get a hand on it. But it just, it just went past him. It was just, it was coming too fast at him. Uh, New Mexico steps up. They take their kick and nail it. El Paso's back up. They take their kick. And again, another make. And another instance where Cody actually gets a hand on it once again. Um, but again, he's not able to, to deflect it or anything. 
Uh, New Mexico steps up, takes their kick. They make it. El Paso steps up for their third kick. And this ball does go in the same direction Cody does guess. He does manage to get a hand on it, but again, he can't stop this ball. Um, New Mexico steps up, takes their kick, and they make it. El Paso's up, they take their kick, they make it. So now it's like four, um, it's four, three, right? Um, so then Romeo Parks, which obviously I put his name in parentheses because at this time I'm thinking, is Parks going to be the guy to turn this match around? Is he going to be the subject of my headline? You know, is he going to be just, you know, is this, is this going to be the turning point, so to say? Um, so Park steps up to take his kick, and it just seemed like Ketterer was expecting it because Ketterer was already in the position to be catching that ball. Uh, Romeo takes the shot and kicks it right into his hands, essentially. And so this is this is now United's miss, right? Well, so then uh, El Paso steps up. They take their fifth kick. They make it, and ultimately El Paso wins on pens. They win 5-3 on pens um, from a 1-1 regulation draw after extra time. So, I mean, the scene on the pitch is just, you know, Parks kind of, you know, I think he kind of, you know, I'm sure, he, he, I'm sure he's feeling it. I'm sure on one hand it's like, man, I kicked this amazing goal and that gave us an extra 30 minutes and then some. And then on the other hand it's like, oh, man, I stepped up for my penalty kick and I kicked it right into this guy's hands and that cost us the match, you know, but the scene on the pitch is man, all the players and the coaches are just surrounding Romeo parks and they're just consoling him. I am sure that has to be a very hard moment to have with yourself. Um, just because of all the pride you put into your own performance, but then also because that's pretty much the end of, that's the indicator of whether or not you moved on or not. And who's to say uh, if Parks makes his shot and they're tied at four, you know, does the last kicker for El Paso, which I remember being just Dazzola, does he miss his? Is the pressure on him? Does he miss his kick being the last one? And then does New Mexico have a chance to put it away? That's, that's a possibility. We'll never know. Right. Another, possibility that we'll never know in case is that uh josh suggs he was signaling for a substitute uh, before united was going to be in a position to take pens knowing that if he was in on the pitch he would have to take a kick and josh suggs had said in a press conference um at the end of the year that his penalty kicks, uh, he felt, were very lackluster. He felt that he was not good on taking kicks. And so he didn't want to be out there given the fact if he was going to need to take these kicks. Uh, why that's really important in the thick of things is because if Josh Suggs was out there, chances are would Romeo Parks still be kicking fourth in rotation or would that have been Josh Suggs's kick, right? 
And, and in addition to that, I mean, that's, that's really like a thought you have to make. I wanted to say, what if Romeo never came in and Amondo was out there, but again, Amondo was just not hitting in this match. There may not have even been added extra time, uh, had, had parts not nailed it. So obviously that theory is kind of debunked for me, but would Suggs have been the fourth kick? That is that is also another question that will, will not get answered um, unless one of them is listening to this podcast at some point and happens to hear it and goes, hey, I want to answer that question for you. Um, so then that, that brings me to the factor of um, this, this match is now over and now we've got to kind of face the reality. I mean, if you're someone who likes to go on Twitter and you like to banter, um, that was kind of the night that you probably wanted to take a night off. But uh, as it may, I mean, definitely United fans and, and El Paso fans definitely went back and forth for a little bit. Um, I got to say, your, your, your boy here uh, took the night off from that. Um, I don't mind a little bit of it, but, uh, you know, I was just more kind of taking in the match. I mean, this is United's first playoff win in their club history. So in, in two years, this is their first playoff win, but have gotten to the postseason in each of the two years. Um, in addition, this team played all their matches on the road, you know, and, you know, they were so close to, to advancing to another round. You know, we found out that Phoenix had won and we found out that Phoenix would be the next level in it. It really had everything to do with, you know, the sort of prediction of United was going to have to play the number one team in every group in order to get to the cup. You know, they had beat San Antonio, which was the D1 or the group D uh, winner. They would have beaten El Paso, which was the group C winner. And then they would have had to play Phoenix Rising, which is the group B winner. Um you know, of course, this just wasn't uh, the way things were going to go down. So, you know, the way I spent that evening, um, you know, I went and got some canes with uh, Amanda and Ulysses, some canes chicken, you know, definitely a, a great post-match meal, and just kind of went back to the room and just kind of pondered the night. Um, I hopped on Instagram live for the, I think for the three or four people that, that were on with me. And we just kind of talked about the match and just talked about the, the finer moments of the match. And, and, and they asked questions and, you know, I entertained answering the questions and it was a, it was a good time. So, um, nonetheless, you know, United will be back, uh, in postseason. you know, there's not a doubt about that, you know, they just really did not show up for the first 70 minutes of the match. And I mean, statistically speaking, they had six shots with none on target. And the first shot on target was Romeo Parks's goal. And over the whole evening, 
Um, they managed to have 14 shots with three on target. They had 83% pass accuracy and then had possession for 60 minutes. So obviously there were, there were instances where El Paso just let them have the ball and they just played defense and they relied on their stand-up defense in the middle of the pitch. And then there were times where El Paso really just couldn't, you know, they just couldn't stop United there. Their guys were tired and they had already played 120 minutes the week before and they were hoping to stitch it up in 90 minutes. Um, so United ultimately loses the match. And, you know, I have to say, looking into the social medias, you know, fans, you really did uh, stand up your guy, Romeo Parks. And, you know, you really were gracious to him. And you really did pen it that, hey, without him hitting the 95-minute mark goal, that there wouldn't be any extra time. So, um, you know, shout out to Romeo Parks for, you know, giving the fans uh, the ultimate thrill of the season. And, you know, you know, my understanding is that we just had him for a year. He may or may not be back with the club uh, in 2021. So we want to let him know that uh, we enjoyed watching him play for New Mexico United. And, uh, you know, he certainly brought a different uh, dynamic to the roster. So that kind of does it for my review of the New Mexico United El Paso locomotive match. And, and very briefly, I just want to touch on the El Paso Phoenix match and then talk a little bit about the championship match. And that will kind of do it for this episode. Um, so going into the El Paso Phoenix match, if you're a New Mexico United fan, which team do you want to win? Kind of a rhetorical question, right? I mean, some people felt that they would want the team that beat them to advance and win everything because that's the team that beat them. And, um, and so that just there kind of was the logic. And then other people thought, hey, I would like Phoenix to win because I don't want our rival El Paso to get any further than they went the year before. So where I really centered on that was the, the second theory. I would want Phoenix to beat El Paso, so therefore El Paso couldn't advance further than they did. And you have to understand, El Paso got to the final last year, and that was their the fans' point of bragging this year was all about we got to the cup final or sorry we got to the western conference final we got to the western conference final and it's like well you didn't win so for them to get back there again this year meant that they surely could not win so that's where i i i found myself personally um you know and unfortunately saying something like well i hope they both can lose um just obviously something not really doable in a Western Conference final. There has to be a winner. So I watched the match. I have to say, in watching the two teams play, um, they're very they were very casual towards each other, very, very civil. There really weren't any bad fouls against each team for the most part. And there wasn't really any sort of infighting or any sort of 
you know, anything to like draw um, any cards in the match. It, it just seemed like a peaceable friendly amongst two clubs. Call it what you will. I don't know why El Paso and Phoenix don't have that particular matchup like that with each other. It really just looks like another day in the park. So that may or may not excite you. For me, it was like watching at home on the broadcast, the drums are going nonstop for for uh, the support groups that are there playing cadences the whole match. Um, El Paso, honestly, I thought was going to win that match. Not because I wanted them to, but because uh, Aaron Gomez just ultimately put himself in a lot of positions to make some goals that night. And he, he had at least two opportunities that I'm surprised didn't go in. Um, Phoenix manages, obviously, to score the first goal. Jordan Schweitzer just kicks his ball towards the, the net. I'm not convinced that he was taking a shot. It seems like he was just trying to cross the ball in. But it takes a weird deflection off of a El Paso player, manages to hit the top crossbar and go in. And ultimately, uh, Phoenix is up 1-0. Um, but then later on in the match, um, Brian Rabion manages to just hit this like equalizer from outside the 18. And ultimately, the score is drawn to 1-1. And at this point, it's like, okay, well, Who's who's gonna take this match? You know, secretly I'm rooting for Phoenix to win, but at the same time, I think somewhere in the middle of the the match, myself betrayed my other self, and I thought, okay, El Paso could win this match too. In in fact, as well, so I was a little bit indifferent. Uh, El Paso had so many opportunities to close this match out, um, they didn't do it, and so ultimately. It went to pens. It was like the third straight week for both teams to go to added extra time to go to pens, you know, in which ultimately Phoenix wins in pens because the fact that um, they were able to block a pen and they were able to, and then one just sailed high. And so uh, ultimately El Paso fell to Phoenix and Phoenix won the Western Conference final. Okay, so so this is where we're at in things. Again, as a as a New Mexico fan, I'm completely happy that El Paso's out because they're the rival and, and we don't want them getting further than us or further than they went last year. I'm sorry. Um, so now here's the dilemma. Phoenix wins this match. Now, if you've been following the politics on Twitter or on the Internet, for the most part, you know, like at least half the country doesn't want Phoenix to win the USL championship because they're still not satisfied with the way that the organization handled um, the Rick Schantz um, situation with the way that he was defensive for his player, the way that he seemed to tolerate uh, the slur and as well as the way he carried his, his own, um, the way he, he was himself with his own, the way he conducted himself, rather. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, 
Junior Fleming's not necessarily ever coming back around and making a public statement and owning the fact that the slur was said, you know, but yet he's online again and he's surfaced with a profile and, you know, he's just not really posting anything that just kind of rubs people the wrong way. So ultimately no one really is happy with Phoenix. Well, at some point Phoenix obviously leading up to the, to the match relinquished their home rights, their home to their ability to host the final match. So at this point, the match was going to be either in loose cities stadium or at Tampa Bay Rowdies stadium, depending on who won that match. So Tampa Bay wins and it's going to be Phoenix versus Tampa Bay. So at this point, all the Phoenix fans are already thinking about what it's going to be like for their team to lift the cup. They've already spent their, I don't know, upwards of six to $700, maybe even more uh, to book their flights out to Tampa. They're just having a great time. And, you know, and, Look, I told you, I, I wanted Phoenix to get to the final only because I wanted them to lose in the final. Yes, that's right. They've been to the final. They can go to the final again, but we don't want them to win in the final. We want them to lose there because then they will not be able to hoist the cup. And I may sound kind of salty, right, But or I might sound bitter, but look, that's just the way it is for me from a fan perspective. That's the hat that I'm currently wearing when I say this. Um but to put on my uh, journalism hat, right, Seek and Strike, those teams were matched up. Like Tampa Bay and Phoenix was going to be an amazing cup final, and I definitely was all for seeing that match play itself out. Um, learning the Saturday prior to the match that the head coach and a couple assistant coaches had been positive for COVID, uh, you know, that was like a huge disadvantage looking for for Tampa Bay because you're not going to have your head coach in a match like that. Um, but then also hearing about um, hearing about players having been positive for COVID, that's a huge concern. You obviously care more about the players than about the match happening. So on Saturday prior to the, the Sunday match, it's now then determined that this match is going to be off. This final match between Phoenix and Tampa Bay. And it's now looking very interesting that, in fact, if Phoenix, if they can't play the match, then they can't win the match. They won't be crowned a winner by default. That somehow saying something like, I wish neither El Paso and Phoenix could win the cup came to truth. It really must be that 2020 COVID thing happening. But in spite of it all, to think that Phoenix Rising did not win the cup because they didn't have an opportunity to play for it, it's just so awesome. So I'm just going to put that out there. All right. Anyways, we're hoping that obviously the Tampa Bay coaches and the players get healthy. Um, we're glad that the Phoenix players didn't have COVID and, you know, the fans that traveled were able to get home 
safely. They were, I think some of them stayed and tried to make a weekend out of it, and that's cool. I guess that's what we would do if we were in the same situation. Um, but, you know, the USL 2020 season is done, and there was no championship cup final winner. Um, the champions are then just the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals winners, so Phoenix Rising and Tampa Bay Rowdies. And so that leaves the USL Championship Cup uh, vacated uh, for the 2020 season. Uh, Real Monarchs still reigns as the last championship champion. And uh, New Mexico United in 2021 still has a chance to win the Championship Cup. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I hope you were able to sit with me for the hour. And next week, Alicia will be back to join me, and we will do it all again for you. So until then, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.